Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with our guest host, Angela Chung, who's, a, as you know, a speech-language pathologist and a communications coach. And we thought we'd have a conversation on uh, cross-cultural communication and uh, how can we upskill some diverse teams. So how are you doing today, Angela? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, as always. Uh, so I-, I thought we'd start a little bit about talking about, well, what is cross-cultural communication and then maybe get into why is it important. So what is cross-cultural communication? Well, cross-cultural communication at its base is basically communication across cultures. It's in its name, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Exactly. And nowadays, there are so many diverse teams with people pulling talent from all over the world, even people moving across countries just to work in a certain uh, company. So I think cross-cultural communication is super essential because communication is essential for building relationships within Mm. people, in the workplace, socially, whatever it is. So that's cross-cultural communication. Sounds good. And for context, I mean, if your organization is made up of the the same type of people from the same background, from the same everything, uh, cross-cultural communication is a little bit less uh, relevant because everyone kind of has the same background, same thinking and all that sort of stuff. But that's not necessarily the ideal workplace because you want to have a bit of a diversity in there and uh, in order to prevent like groupthink and, and, and in- promote innovation and things like that. So uh, if you are in that situation, well, you can m- maybe uh, just skim through some of the stuff we're talking about. But I guess in 2022, it's highly unlikely that any organization is of that state, right? Uh, with the whole globalized world, everything's remote and or, or if not hybrid and uh, it's basically accessible from anywhere in the world and uh, in, in the country we live in, in Canada, it's, it's a super uh, diverse culture where there's uh, tons and tons of newcomers. So being able to connect and uh, uh, communicate specifically with uh, people from uh, different uh, cultures, uh, be it the, the native quote-unquote Canadian culture, whatever that is, <laughs> and then uh, from uh, multiple countries around the world is, is, is super uh, important. Um, so if, if we put that as, as a backdrop, then then how do we uh, start being aware of kind of these different cultures and the communication? And then how do we start uh, getting better at it uh, as, as a team and as an organization and, and maybe as just an individual? I think people need to recognize that communication is made up of a bunch of different parts and all of those parts can be different across cultures. So we can think of body language, we can think of the facial expressions, we can even think about the word choice and the general communication style. Do we tend to be more direct like Europeans or do we tend to like to beat around the bush like Canadians and be extra nice? (laughs) That general communication style can be different too. And even in the way that we speak, even in the pronunciation of things, even in how loud or how quiet we are, all of those things can be different and they have different 
ways of being perceived in different cultures. If we are thinking about indigenous communities, they tend to be a little bit slower in their turn taking and often much quieter. So if you try to be really loud with them, they might perceive you as being aggressive and rude. If you are trying to, oh, there was this example that I heard in school one time, there was a presentation being given, how they were trying to teach um, the community something and they kept asking questions and they kept talking and talking and no one answered no one put their hand up but it was because they weren't given enough time to answer between questions and so they just felt like they had no time to answer questions and then the other the person teaching who was um, of a different culture they felt like they just were being ignored because no one was talking. And it was because of that difference in how much time should be allowed for a response. And oftentimes with my clients, they feel the same way too. They feel like when it's in a group setting um, at work and they want to get their word across in a meeting, they don't have the time to jump in. They don't know when to jump in because they aren't used to the way communication was being implemented in that meeting. They weren't used to the timing, they weren't used to the subtle cues that people were using to jump into those meetings. So oftentimes when people want to get in, get into a meeting and try to communicate something, they have to either make a little noise like, um, about that, actually, and they, they enter with a little bit of noise that isn't the core message first just to get people's attention. They might use some body cues to indicate that they want to say something or they might use some audio cues like breathing really loudly. So every single aspect of communication can be affected and it's very important to be aware of those things. Sometimes I talk about these in my session, in my one-on-one -on -one sessions with clients, depending on what exact thing they're struggling with. And sometimes I also give workshops to companies talking about this as well. Right. What I took from that is step one is awareness. First of all, that people do communicate differently. It could be body language, word choice. Uh, it could be the, the time it takes for someone to respond, the speed at which they communicate and things like that. So just being aware that because you're a fast talker doesn't mean everyone should be a fast talker. Because you're a slow talker doesn't mean that the, the, the same thing. Or you use certain uh, phrase, metaphors, idioms, and things like that. And, and I find that that is a bit challenging. I know I'm guilty of that myself, <laughs> where oftentimes I will do that to convey a point. And then someone will be like, ah, I don't understand that because they don't have that sort of context. So first of all, to be even aware that you're doing it sounds like the, the first step. And then now that you have that awareness to go into, okay, now what do I do with it? So you gave us a few examples in terms of like a word choice and, and uh, voice tone or body language and things like that. Uh, are there other things that we should be aware of and, and not necessarily to go to the uh, like encyclopedia <laughs> of, of all the different pieces to go through, but um, you gave us a couple of examples, but are there very common ones that you find that, well, really, if you want to kind of advance our awareness to this next step, what are some of the things that, that we could un start understanding in order to improve our cross-cultural communications? 
I think the most important thing that I've seen with my clients is just general communication style in terms of how direct you are. So oftentimes people outside of Canada or outside of North America, I want to say, they're often much more direct than we're used to here. And so when they come to Canada and I work with a lot of newcomers or people who just have a different culture, they say, yes, I'm used to being very direct, but Canadians, they like to be very nice and they never give me direct feedback on anything so that is very important sometimes oh sometimes I have a client say to me I don't know when Canadians like me or not because they always act the same <laughs> so I think that general communication style is the most important thing to consider but of course when you speak a different language as well there are lots of different things that are affected uh, with the way that you speak and this affects your listening as well so this aspect of communication, your pronunciation, affects the speech sounds that you have in the way that you speak, your intonation, which is how the pitch of your voice changes over time. Now, how your pitch changes over time indicates a lot of things about you. It tells the other person what you're feeling in that moment. So if I'm speaking like this right now, I'm quite calm. But if I'm speaking like this, I'm actually a little bit angry. And that is the tone of my voice. and it's indicated by the tone of your voice and the volume and the pace, of course. So all of those things. Different cultures, their language has a whole different set of like, what's the, what's the standard volume? What's the standard pace? What's the standard intonation range? And so people, when they speak English with the influence of their first language, they can be perceived as feeling something that they weren't actually. They might be perceived as being more aggressive when they are feeling quite, you know, quite calm. And so you need to be aware of how your intonation can be perceived when you are speaking that other language or even just speaking in a different culture. Yeah, makes sense. The, the example that comes to mind is it, my wife is from Hong Kong and when her relatives <sighs> get together, they're all yelling and screaming like, oh, are, are they upset and angry? It's like, no, they're just catching up <laughs> and they're getting to know each other. Exactly. But they do sound like because the way that they speak uh, is, is very energetic, typically louder, and uh, probably the intonations sound like they're angry, but it's, no, I'm just telling you what I did yesterday <laughs> or last week and about my vacation and things like that, right? So that's being a aware perfect of that, example. I think is good. Um, yeah, that's a perfect I, example. I want to go back a little bit into that uh, kind of direct or indirect. So if, if you could give a little bit more of an example, because I, I know you've mentioned how, um, well, I don't know if a Canadian likes me because they always act the same, but is there one where uh, an example comes to mind of someone that says, okay, you, they were too direct when they should have been indirect or, or maybe vice versa? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So I can think of quite a few where they were too direct and then they... Uh, kind of influenced their relationship with their colleagues and, or made it worse somehow because the colleague would interpret their their discussion as being aggressive or confrontational. So for example, you are a manager and you want to talk to a team member about their performance or some issues that they're having. Sometimes, and this might be about management style as well, but it's it's also about the cultural norms. So if you go to your colleague and you say, hey, I know you're, I want to talk to you about the problems that you've been having. 
that can be very direct and it can be a little bit scary for the colleague to hear that. Oh my gosh, I'm having uh, performance issues. This person uh, wants to talk to me about it. Or you can say, hey, I noticed that um, there were some things that you're having difficulty with. How can I support you? That's a little bit different feeling too. So it, there are different things that you can do with word choice and how direct you are. And of course, I'm making it very short here. Sometimes managers like to start off their discussion with something a little bit longer, with a little bit more context. But you can see those two examples there. Yeah, it sounds like that in addition to pronunciation, intonation, volume, word choice is definitely something that you want to take a look at. So if an interaction with someone doesn't go as you had hoped, maybe play back in your head, what did you say specifically and how could that specific word, uh, so, so in one context you referenced problem and one you said a couple of things that, that I could help you with, right? So it's making it about them versus how you can help and a couple of those things might uh, help in terms of, uh, it's not sugarcoating the conversation, it's just uh, putting it in a different direction so the other person is a little more receptive. Uh, to that. Exactly. So I think that's a lot of good things. I think um, people can also be too indirect as well. I know you asked mm -hmm. for that other example, vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think this happens more often with people who lack confidence. And it matters less what the culture is, but I do see this happen more often with females. Mm -hmm. So a lot of females in tech, I feel like, lack confidence, especially because they're in a male-dominated field. Well, not tech specifically, but just depending on the your field of work. Sometimes it is male, more male dominated. So when I speak with these clients, they feel like they lack confidence and they feel like they end up being too indirect and they beat around the bush. They don't want to confront anyone. And so in that case, their, their word choice and their body language, their intonation, everything is affected. And they just appear less confident too because they're they're so afraid of the conversations that they're going to have that they sound quieter and they sound like they're questioning things all the time and it just does not sound confident. That sounds good. So again, even if you're on the indirect side, if a conversation doesn't necessarily go as you'd want it, you can also examine that situation too because it could be, well, could I have been more assertive? Could I have been more direct? Could I have been something else? And then hopefully you don't swing the pendulum to the other side <laughs> where you're now too direct and then you have to keep meet that um, happy middle. Uh, but there I go mm -hmm. using an idiom that people might not understand <laughs> and, and might not promote for a good conversation or, or a good understanding. But uh, at least uh, now I'm aware of it so, so I can uh, potentially do something about it. Um, so, so now that we have the awareness of it and we have a little bit of understanding, then, then what do we need to do next? Uh, in, in, from what I'm thinking, it's just putting into practice and just being aware. And, and some of the things that I mentioned is like, oh, evaluating those conversations and, think, and things like that and taking, uh, giving yourself some space and some time to actually go through them. Are there other things that people could do to kind of support uh, themselves and then also their, their teams in, in, in terms of uh, improving their cross-cultural communication? Well, we talked about the awareness piece. So another side of that is basically try not to assume that everyone is the same. Sure. When you are listening to other people or communicating with other people, you can't interpret things always the same way that you expect from people of the same culture. So if someone is talking to you and they're using a rising intonation like this all the time, you can't assume that they're questioning everything that they say. Maybe that's just mm -hmm. the, the tone of voice that they use in their, in their culture or in their first language. Um, another, 
another way we can approach communication is to always be learning. So if someone uses language that you're not familiar with, uses vocabulary that you're not familiar with, try not to just let it go and let it pass and try to interpret it. Ask, you know, try mm -hmm. to figure it out or do a little bit of research on your own to try to understand more of the vocabulary that they use. It might be something that is used in British English, but not in used in Canadian English, yeah. or maybe it's a, a term that is used in Indian English. So I know in Indian English, they have differ a different set of rules. So like missing, uh, not missing, but like lack of prepositions that we might use more often in English, in North American English, but we can't assume that that is the same for Indian English. It's not like they know, uh, they have a, it's not like they have a lesser grasp of the English language, they just have a different version of the English language than we do here. Um, and we need to also be aware of how our preconceptions influence our interactions with people. There was a research study done on the perception of accent based on how a person looks. So if you think someone should have an accent based on how they look, you might perceive that they have an accent. There are a lot of funny videos out there about how they are with their friend who can speak, let's say, Japanese fluently, but they don't look Japanese, they look right. white, let's say. Um, and then the server will still try to talk to the Japanese looking person and not the Japanese speaking person because they just can't comprehend that a white person can speak Japanese. So there are very interesting studies done on this and lots of fun videos of people experiencing that exact thing. And you need to be very aware that no matter how a person looks, they might be communicating um, in a different way than you expect. For sure. So a, a couple things come to mind when, when you mentioned those. So uh, on the Indian English, I remember uh, working and we had a lot of offshore developers. And in one of the emails, I had a phrase that said, do the needful. And I had no idea what that meant, but that's just basically uh, go and uh, get it done. Or it's like, that, that's okay, do it, right? And I had to ask, well, what is that? So I think your point about always be learning is definitely appropriate, where if it, you don't understand, ask. And, and do it from a place of curiosity. Where like, oh, that's new to me. Could, could you tell me what that means? Or maybe I, I don't understand that in that context or something like that. So it's not ignorance, it's just curiosity and, and wanting to learn a little bit more. And then that study that you said about the perception of, of accent, uh, I mean, I know one of the uh, videos I often uh, see on whatever Facebook or, or YouTube is different polygots who apparently, uh, like the Caucasian gentleman who can speak uh, Mandarin Chinese, and I think he was challenged to learn, I think it was Swedish in like two weeks or something for uh, on that. So, uh, but I mean, that, well, he probably has a perception of a certain accent. But I think it's it's quite interesting that the research where, well, people have their unconscious biases, right? And in this kind of globalized world, like you can't uh, assume that someone knows or doesn't know a particular language. So just be careful if you're talking about someone behind their back because they may or may not already know what you're talking about. Uh, so so I think uh, that that's great to, to be aware of, to understand and, and start putting into practice. And I think what folks c could do practically is actually allocate like some time in their in their day, their week, their month, and actually reflect on all these sort of things. Maybe you can take a course, maybe you can um, 
find certain resources. So are there any things available uh, that, that you might suggest for folks to get uh, a little bit more familiar with uh, cross-cultural communication to get, if they want to upskill their, their, um, their own abilities and, and maybe for the abilities of their, their teams as well? Yeah, well, the good news is there's a wealth of resources online. <laughs> so I know one of the clients that I worked with, he's a manager and he has a very diverse team. He's uh, a development team, right? Mm -hmm. A developer team. So there's Russian people, Indian people, uh, Korean, Chinese, etc. And what he noticed was something with Indian English, actually. So what he did was he did a bit of research on the structure of word choice or the structure of sentences in Indian English just to come from a place of understanding um, to see if the communications that she was putting out matched what he expected and if not why so he did a bit of research he just googled it and he found his answer this is how English is taught in India mm. so that's what you can do uh, as a independent person just doing some research and also you can look for workshops I guess from communication coaches not everyone will talk about cross-cultural communication I do talk about it uh, very briefly in some of my workshops but of course I can talk more in depth about some workshops Another thing that you can do as an individual is you can look for communication training sessions. Mm -hmm. If you are a newcomer and you want to learn more about the social rules or communication uh, tendencies of native Canadian English speakers, then you can look for those individual sessions. Sometimes, even though cross-cultural communication and those DEI initiatives, they like to focus on uh, responding well rather than putting the onus on the communicator. Mm. So, communication is a two-way street. Sure. So sometimes it's nice to meet in the middle and a lot of my clients like to do that meeting in the middle. One thing that happens when you have communication coaching sessions is you can notice things a lot more and you can hear things a lot better too. If you know to look out for those social cues that people are using when they want to jump into a conversation, for example, taking that really loud audible breath, <gasps> that's really interesting. Then you know when to stop and let people jump in. So it makes you a better person to communicate with as well, not just a better communicator. If you can hear the difference between different pronunciations, like let's say, for example, uh, the word best and vest. Let's say just those two words, for example, okay. very characteristic of Spanish speakers. If you can hear that difference, you can also understand people a lot better. And I have tons of people who come in for accent modification services, and they say that a whole new world has opened up to them because they can hear so many new words and so many different sounds and they can follow the conversation a lot better. So there you go. Well, that sounds amazing. So we've gone through a lot for cross-cultural communication. We talked a little bit about the awareness, the understanding and a, a bunch of things to work, uh, work through. And what I took from that is, uh, well, in your ne next interaction, uh, be aware that this person could be speaking from a different culture, from a different context, for, uh, with a different style and all that sort of stuff. But the other part is don't make assumptions <laughs> because uh, people are from are globalized and, and they might actually know a lot more than, than you think about a particular culture and whatever, so don't have those biases. Uh, but if they do uh, 
describe things in a different way or do things in, in a different way than you, then you can be curious and ask questions about it. And then that hopefully will continue to build the relationship. And then the other part is to also know your own personal tendencies and see if you can adapt your own style to maybe insert more pauses or to listen for something else to make it easier for the other person to communicate with you because you're aware, oh, okay, uh, well, again, not the stereotypical part, but after you've engaged in the conversation for a while, and you say, okay, I feel that there's a tendency towards this way. Maybe I should slow down my speech. Maybe I should add more pauses. Maybe I should speed up. Maybe I should uh, be more direct or, or whatever it is. And then from there, hopefully you can, can fine tune your communication and, and be better at uh, cross-cultural communication. Uh, and then you give us a, 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 a couple of resources. So go find uh, different programs, different folks, uh, a communication coach such as yourself <laughs> to kind of help you with those uh, challenges. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that gives us a great overview of, of, of cross-cultural communication and how to upskill yourself and your, your team. Are there any other things that you'd want to share uh, about the topic or, or any other things that you want to leave folks with to kind of challenge them to do or, or, or learn or other things they should be aware of? Yeah, for sure. I would say it's an ongoing experience. Right. Of course, you're not going to be perfect at communication in your first meeting with someone. But as you continue talking with them and building and build that relationship, you're going to notice different things about the way that they communicate and your interactions with that person. It's okay to learn a little bit every time you meet with them. It's a little it's okay to learn as you go. So give yourself time and don't be afraid to engage in those conversations. Sometimes people get very scared of differences and they withdraw and they don't want to uh, engage in those conversations. But it's very important to constantly practice and constantly learn from other people by engaging in those conversations. For sure. What I took from that is uh, allow yourself to make mistakes because the first time you go through it, even though you're aware and conscious, eh, you might get it wrong. <laughs> so, so don't worry too much about that and maybe even expect that and realizing that if you want to change your, your tendencies, like it takes a while to change those habits, right? So give yourself ample time and, and forgive yourself uh, if you do misspeak or what have you. And then slowly over time, you'll improve, improve, improve. But first of all, that awareness, uh, as, as you mentioned, when your client says, is open a whole world of possibilities. It might be that, uh, that uh, large in terms of, of scale or, or, or difference, or it could be small incremental ones. So I, I think this was a great conversation and provides a lot of context in terms of hopefully having folks become more aware of others and be able to communicate better uh, across cultures. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Angela, for the conversation. And hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Awesome. Thank you, Luki. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.